Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Get your free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. Uh, great little resource for you, absolutely um, free. Just going to cost you an email, and we uh, give you updates as well when we have new podcast episodes too. So uh, go check that out. No-brainer to, to snag that at reallifepharmacology.com. With that, let's get into the drug of the day today, and this is by request from an email I received, and it's Vortioxetine. Brand name of this medication is Trintelix, and this medication as a general class is considered an antidepressant, and that's pretty much in clinical practice the only thing I've ever seen it used for. And um, probably more specifically, uh, it's really historically been reserved for uh, failure of, you know, more traditional antidepressants such as the the commonly used generic SSRIs. So your, you know, citalopram's and Zoloft's and things of that nature. So that's probably where you're going to see it is patients who failed numerous other antidepressants and probably the biggest reason why that's the case, uh, at least at the time of this podcast, um, this medication is a brand name medication and so um, it's definitely uh, expensive and or you have to jump through in insurance coverage hurdles uh, in many situations as well. So uh, that's why its use is probably more limited and if you're a practicing clinician, uh, probably why you haven't seen it a ton. So with that said, I definitely have seen it used in clinical practice, usually by uh, psychiatry. And this medication does have kind of traditional SSRI activity. Um, with that said, it's also uh, got some other activity on other serotonin receptors. And the challenge with this and, and to know exactly how it all plays out is a lot of this is dose dependent and the affinity to all these different serotonin receptors uh, varies. And so depending upon the dose that we're using, you know, the actions could vary and that sort of thing, which makes um, kind of the mechanism of action and, and how it all plays out really hard to kind of interpret. And then, of course, you factor in uh, pharmacokinetic parameters as well and, you know, maybe pharmacogeneric variations. And, you know, you understand why it's, it's difficult to say exactly um, how it's going to work in each individual person. But the primary mechanism of action is... Uh, that SSRI type activity, essentially increasing the activity of serotonin. Uh, other notable uh, receptors, so serotonin 5-HT1A, um, it is a receptor uh, agonist at that receptor, I should say. Uh, 5-HT3, it is a receptor antagonist. And again, how that all plays out and how significant that is um, really isn't spelled out in the literature, at least in, in my opinion. So dosing of this medication, 5 to 20 milligrams is the usual dose range. Uh, most clinicians are going to start in the 5 to 10 milligram range, uh, maybe 5 milligrams if they're you know a little bit older, just want to make sure they tolerate it okay. Um, some might feel comfortable starting with 10 milligrams, maybe in younger patients, things of that nature. And most clinicians are going to increase probably by 5 milligrams when they do increase. 
um, maybe after one to four weeks, just depending upon how it's going and how aggressive uh, the clinician wants to get. All right, so there is uh, some other evidence in addition to uh, the antidepressant effects. So uh, this is, again, specific for patients with depression. So those patients that have depression and they really struggle with um, some cognitive uh, impairments, some you know cloudiness in their thinking when they get depressed, um, vortioxetine does maybe have some uh, potential benefits in the literature. Uh, that shows that and may help that. So that's maybe a, a subset of depressed patients where maybe vortioxetine is a little bit better than um, uh, some other uh, traditional antidepressant agents. Um, so that is a, a subset that you might see uh, this medication uh, selected for. Let's get into adverse drug reactions. So uh, first and foremost, uh, there is that boxed warning, increased suicidal thoughts and behaviors, particularly in kids and young adults uh, upon using the medication in the short term anyway. So important to note that you're going to likely get that question from patients. So just be aware of that um, and be able to uh, tackle that question for your patients. The most common adverse effect is going to be nausea. Uh, approximately a quarter of people uh, may experience some nausea. Generally, it's going to be a dose-dependent effect. So if you get more aggressive with starting doses, you probably are going to be more likely to run into that adverse effect. Uh, so definitely be, uh, be aware of that and avoid um, the prescribing cascade where we add anti-nausea medications shortly after we've started a drug like vortioxetine that has a uh, relatively um, high incidence of, of nausea. So pay attention to that. Um, less common, uh, sexual dysfunction certainly has been uh, reported, and that's very common with uh, SSRIs as well. Uh, hyponatremia, rare adverse effect, but low sodium levels can result uh, at risk patients are are probably going to be ones that you pay more attention to. So, uh, you know, patients who've had a history of hyponatremia, they uh, maybe are taking diuretics like furosemide, for example. Uh, older patients are probably going to be more susceptible uh, to this uh, risk as well. Serotonin syndrome, um, I won't go into that too much. I've talked about that extensively uh, in previous podcast episodes on other SSRIs. Uh, and then whenever you use an antidepressant or a drug that works on the brain, in the brain, um, you always got to anticipate that uh, central nervous system changes are possible, whether it's dizziness or sedation or behavioral changes. Um, you always got to pay attention to that and make sure we're monitoring our patients closely, uh, particularly when starting a new medication or uh, increasing dose there. And then lastly, I did want to mention... Uh, the bleeding risk uh, that comes up, I've definitely been asked that by by patients and by other healthcare uh, professionals. Uh, it's not something I worry about tremendously um, with drugs that have SSRI-type activity. With that said, uh, it certainly has been reported in literature that there might be a little bit of an increased risk of bleeding there. So I think paying attention to it 
Um, if a patient's reporting, you know, abnormal bruising, bleeding, anything like that, um, certainly vortioxetine's got to be on your list of drugs to at least assess and pay attention to. Most often I've found that, you know, when somebody reports bruising, bleeding, you know, they're already taking aspirin or they're on an anticoagulant or, you know, maybe some high NSAIDs for pain. Um, so patients that generally report bleeding are going to likely have other risk factors as well. Uh, but again, I just wanted to um, make sure to address that because it certainly is uh, in the literature and it's, it is a question that uh, I've been, been asked about as well. Uh, all right, so I wanted to talk about benefits here quick. So um, just like SSRIs, the benefit for antidepressant activity is going to take a little while. So the challenge with that is you often run into adverse effects right away. So let's take nausea, for example. If a patient runs into that with vortioxetine, they're going to experience that nausea pretty quickly. Within the first couple of days, likely, uh, they're going to experience uh, those adverse effects. Now, with that, the benefits are going to generally be at least one to two weeks out, um, maybe even up to four to six weeks kind of for that full uh, maximal benefit. So um, that's definitely a patient education point that you want to drill home. Like, hey, you might not notice feeling any better right away. Um, it may take a little bit uh, of time to begin working and helping um, depression symptoms and you know, also educate them that unfortunately side effects may may show up initially. So that's always kind of a clinical judgment, risk versus benefit type of thing, uh, based upon how severe the initial uh, adverse effects are compared to, um, you know, are we going to wait for that potential benefit and to see, you know, maybe that nausea does subside a little bit over time. So again, going to have to judge that based upon the severity of those adverse effects. So again, that onset of action for the antidepressant activity, one to two weeks, uh, kind of for that full effect, you know, four to maybe up to eight to 12 weeks is going to be kind of an adequate trial to see uh, if we're, we're doing anything and helping our patients. Half-life of this medication is uh, 66 hours. So um, that is definitely helpful uh, when it comes to uh, tapering off and discontinuing, um, just like uh, other drugs with SSRI activity, we can have that discontinuation syndrome. Uh, and I've talked about that previously and what some of the signs and symptoms are there. But uh, patients can just not feel very good if they stop taking um, their SSRI medications and they've been on it for a while. So um, with that said, if we're tapering off vortioxetine, uh, that half-life of 66 hours is definitely helpful in that it's kind of a self self tapering a little bit. So uh, I I generally would never recommend if stopping cold turkey. Uh, that's that's not some unless obviously there's a severe adverse effect or something. Obviously then we're going to stop the medication. Um, you're going to probably want to taper this over you know one to two to four weeks at least. Um, but that longer half life will help kind of ease that. Uh, cushion or, or cushion that reduction, I should say. And hopefully uh, we've got a lower incidence of that uh, discontinuation syndrome. From a met metabolism standpoint, uh, CYP2D6 is probably the primary pathway. 
uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study material like NAPLEX, BCPS, ambulatory care, geriatrics, BCMTMS, or others, go check out meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. I've got a great list of resources there. Definitely go take advantage of them. Help support this podcast as well. Uh, if you're a nurse, med student, PA, nurse practitioner, I've recently released, at least in the United States, uh, Flippin' Pharmacology flashcards. A great resource uh, for anyone going through school, pharmacology classes. Um, absolutely go take uh, advantage of that, and you can find that on Amazon. All right, wrapping up with drug interactions. So I mentioned CYP2D6, uh, that vortioxetine is broken down significantly by that enzyme. Uh, it also is affected um, or broken down partially by some other CYP enzymes too, but um, CYP2D6 is probably uh, the major one there that you're going to worry about. Um, so kind of a classic CYP2D6 inhibitor is another antidepressant like bupropion. So if we have bupropion on board, we start vortioxetine. The patient's likely to get higher concentrations of vortioxetine, which is probably more likely that you're going to encounter adverse effects more quickly. So, um, you know, paying attention to those drug interactions, running drug interaction checker, um, definitely a good idea whenever we're starting a new medication and particularly one that's not used incredibly often or maybe you're not that familiar with, um, like vortioxetine. Uh, bleed risk. So I, I discussed that a little bit. Um, basically, I'm going to look out for other drugs that can increase that bleed risk, uh, whether it's anticoagulants like heparin or uh, apixaban or warfarin or antiplatelet agents, clopidogrel, aspirin, and so on and so forth. So um, they can certainly have an additive effect onto uh, vortioxetine. And then, of course, serotonin uh, drugs, so drugs that basically have serotonin agonist activity or enhance serotonin activity. So certainly other antidepressants are going to fall in this category. Um, Ondansetron, uh, tramadol is another good example that has some serotonergic activity. Um, Total contraindications, uh, linazolid and and other drugs with MAOI type activity. Uh, We're going to want to avoid use together there. So that's, that's an important one as well. Uh, otherwise, we increase the risk of uh, serotonin syndrome. And then the last, uh, I will mention SIP um, enzyme inducers, so classic examples, uh, carbamazepine, phenytoin. Uh, they may uh, induce metabolism of vortioxetine and uh, increase the risk for um, uh, treatment failure, so lower concentrations of vortioxetine. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the podcast for today. Hopefully you found some good practice pearls uh, out of this podcast episode. Do me a huge favor, leave a rating or view on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Share us with friends, colleagues, classmates, uh, anybody who could benefit from some pharmacology education. I appreciate you for doing that. If you have suggestions, comments, questions about uh, study materials, the podcast, anything like that, definitely reach out to me, mededucation101 at gmail.com, or you can track me down on LinkedIn as well, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.